Download the BetMGM Sports app and place a $10 Moneyline wager on any NBA playoff game to win $200 in free bets if either team hits a three-pointer. Use code CHAMPION200. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to another episode of In the Know. We have a special guest with us today. We have Dan Purcell, former Pelicans front office member, here to help us break down all things related to the trade deadline and the things that lead up to it. So uh, without further ado, Dan, how have you been? What have you been up to these last uh, few months? Hey, guys. Thanks thanks for having me on. Um, You know, just staying involved, just, uh, you know, staying contact with people that, you know, you build relationships over all the years I was there and, you know, just, uh, it's a, it's a different flow than being, you know, in it all the time, but it's been, it's been, you know, great being able to look at everything from the outside almost, you know, it's kind of like you can kind of take a deep breath. You're not always just grind, grind, grind every day. You know what I mean? When it comes to men- the mental grind of it. So, um, it's a, it's, it's been very eye opening for me, you know, just see the different, uh, different ebb and flow, not being in it every day. For sure. I mean, things are uh, obviously a little bit different since since you were with, with the Pelicans. Is it does it still have the same amount of like excitement for the Pelicans when you watch things go on on the court, or perhaps when you're trying to work through some of their thought process in 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 decisions? Are you still is there still that emotional component where you're invested in it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you get um, 
it's not even so much the winning and losing part of it. It's the relationships you build with people. And I still, I'm still close with, you know, pretty much everybody over there. And, um, you know, they're not just people that I work with and I saw them every day. And that was that, like we, you build relationships with these people and, you know, there's just so many good people over there that you can't help but root for them, you know, and you can't help. I, I want, you know, I want my friends to do well. I want not just, you know, they're not just colleagues to me. I mean, we spent a really long time together, you know, what, eight, nine years, whatever that is, you know, we did a lot together and they're great people. And, you know, I always wanted, I want them to be successful and, you know, um, do better than, you know, we did when we were there. We, we had some success at the same time. So for it's, sure, uh, it's, you, you always have those emotions when it comes to people you care about, if that makes, you know, if that makes any sense. For sure. So, you know, obviously we have you on the day before the trade deadline, you guys have had, when, when you were the Pelicans, you guys had some quite busy trade deadlines. No, most notably, you guys traded for, for Boogie Cousins. The Nikola Meritich trade was done around the trade deadline. I believe you guys acquired Quincy Pondexter, one of the trade deadlines. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's been some sort of activity each, each trade deadline while you, were, while you guys were there. What is the scene like in the front office during this last week and, and even the weeks leading up to it? How busy is it? How much homework are you guys really doing versus how much homework you guys have done throughout the year if you could just kind of like paint the picture for us like what what the mood is what the scene is in these final hours sure and and you know i think the the first answer to that is it's it's really dependent upon your situation you know it's the nba these you know as much as a lot of people think, you know, oh, these guys aren't doing their homework or they, you know, they got this player wrong at this time or their track record of drafting isn't good or they're excellent draft, you know, whatever that is, you know, they make great trades, you know, things like that. It's a lot of it is just all your prep work up to it. You know, everybody likes to think a deadline is a deadline is a deadline and you have to cram for that deadline, right? You got to be on your toes. You got to be ready to go when something happens you know, but most of these moves that, that happen around this time, I mean, I hate to break everybody's heart, but they've been in the works for a little while. You know, you're, you're waiting for you to see where your team is first. Are you a buyer? Are you a seller? Do you, are you someone that's looking towards the future? You know, like for example, this year you have Atlanta, you know, you know, Atlanta, there's no way they're going to make the playoffs. Right. So their viewpoint is, okay, where are our strengths, where are our weaknesses and how do we adjust at this trade deadline for our future? Does it help us to take on contracts? And of course, you know, we saw that they could, they got an impact player like Clint Capella. They saw that as, okay, well, we can add that to our core. So it's really, it's where, what your goals are, but also what situations arise. It's, this thing is so fluid. And when I say it's fluid, it's, it's not like, hey, uh, you know, September 1st, Team A said, you know, Mason is their guy and that's who they're going to get at trade deadline. And it's no matter what we're getting him. That's not how this works. And um, you know, the prep that goes into this is months in the making. I mean, I can tell you right now, guys that are sitting at a table in a meeting room right now in the 12th hour, they have almost every possible scenario that they could go through for their targets. Now where the, where you kind of get the rolling ball is, Team Beast all of a sudden calls you and they want you to be part of a three-way, you know, a three-way trade. Oh my gosh, you know, these two teams you didn't even know were talking. Hey, you know, you have an asset that maybe you're a third team in this trade. We need the, your asset to make the money work. Are you interested in 
you know, maybe getting compensated in some way, whether that's, you know, cash or picks or players, whatever that is. So there's just a lot moving um, in the last couple hours because once a deal is done, the next deal happens. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, just off air, you know, how things kind of roll out, you know, you watch it free agency player a signs. And then all of a sudden this cascade of players, you know, get signed all of a sudden. And the same thing happens at the trade deadline. You know, you'll get the big one first. If there's, if there is a big one that usually has to hit, and then you'll start seeing all these other ones hit as well. So it's really just, you got to be on your toes. And the, the, the key to all this really is doing your homework ahead of time. And I know it sounds boring and I know it sounds cliche, but it literally is the reason that some teams are successful and some teams aren't. They either get something wrong along the way or they have some substantial issue like, you know, injuries or, um, you know, maybe a guy's not happy with his playing time or he doesn't want to play with his teammate. Like those are the things that come along um, that you can't foresee. September 1 is you're, you know, trying to say, okay, well, here's the, here's the blueprint for trade deadline. You know, and I think and I think the key for the trade deadline for teams is you have to stick to what your plan is. If you if you try to deviate, it better be a deviation to where I'm getting impact player or I'm getting an impact pick or an asset of some sort. That is something that I am going to be able to parlay into an impact player. Got it. And so that that was kind of where I was going to go with the next question um, around, you know, you get a. Either a you get a call that says we're looking at something that's contingent on this trade. We this other trade we want to make closer to the deadline, or like you see a trade that happens, like like for example the one with uh, the fourteen trade that happened late last night with Capella. You know, with two days left before the deadline, suddenly another team's calculus changes and they call you. And so when when things are happening, you know, as we approach the deadline and things maybe that you don't expect to happen, teams players changing teams. How does it? How does how do you pivot on the fly to to make different decisions? based on new information that maybe you didn't have before? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. So it's, that is really something that you have to be able to pivot. You know, we talk about having your goals and, you know, really setting them and then sticking to your guns when it comes to what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve. And the, when those things happen, it can't be, Hey, this player's here. Yes. Immediately you want to talk to your team. You want to say, Hey, this is happening. Is this a fit for us? You know, who, or does, you know, maybe it's something that the person in charge already knows that's not something we want to do, or is it something we want to do? It's, they've already been, it's already been gone through the, through the ringer, if you will. Cause if you think about this trade, how many days has this trade been out there? Can we say a week? We'll, we'll say, you know, roughly, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but you know, say, we'll say a week or so. Sure. That's, that's an eternity. To in NBA terms, because you think about it, how many games do you play in a week? Three, sometimes four. So you, that is an eternity in terms of being able to understand who's involved, what could be involved, and then how do we pivot if some, if ABC happens? So it's, it's a lot of a pivoting, adjusting on the fly, but it's a, it's, it's a studied and prepared pivot. Yeah. I mean, so kind of, touching upon something you also mentioned is is determining if you're a buyer and seller and I think the circumstances of what happened in the season kind of shape what you're trying to do but you know during your time with the Pelicans and and even now um, you guys are put in many situations where 
injuries completely derailed the plan of, of what that team was supposed to look like. So you don't really have much data to go off of, of, Hey, this is the lineup we wanted to see out there for however long and to make decisions off of that. The Pelicans find themselves in kind of a similar situation this year where Zion missed the first three, three and a half months, first half of the season or so. Um, you know, Derek favors has been in and out. They've only really had these last seven or so games to get a look at what their team might look like when sure. when you're in situations like that um how can you make a decision on your roster and and, and should you and and what kind of dictates if you're going to be a buyer or seller yeah so i, I mean if you're looking at we'll, we'll take the the pelicans case for this year you know they felt that zion wasn't ready to play in an nba game with the pound you know the pounding that goes on somebody's body and yeah he's 19 and i i, I get where they're coming from so but the sacrifice on that is you're telling the world that it's a long-term thing. I mean, I, th- I think Griff even came out and said that. I think he said, you know, this is for our long-term, you know, health of this team. It's not – these few games may not matter in five, six years is really what he's saying. But if we're in, in the Western Conference Finals, that counts, you know. And I'm not saying that games do and don't count. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you compare – if it's a comparison of the two. So what – if you have to look at that, you can kind of already see where they're going with it. They're saying – our long-term is more important than our short-term as of right now. And that's not every team. If you look at teams like the Lakers right now, their short-term is the most important thing to them. Clippers, short-term, most important. So, so that viewpoint helps you navigate your decisions at this time, you know? And, you know, I, I, I actually couldn't agree with Griff more right now where he's at. It's like, kind of like if he does make a move, it has to do something that impacts Zion and it impacts, you know, um, Alexander Walker, and Jackson Hayes, like these guys, I mean, he has three number or first round picks on this team. And they're not just number one picks. It's not like they're 28, 29, and 30. These are high picks. So there's a lot of there's a lot of minutes that have to go into developing these guys. Cause you don't draft guys. I mean, you guys know this. You guys have been covering covering the NBA for a while. You don't draft guys just to see who they are. You know what I mean? Just say, hey, okay, well, that's good. Let's just see what's right. It's usually a, a a bigger picture with them, and they have they picked a wing, or you can call them point guard, shooting guard, but we'll call them we'll call them an off guard wing for the you know, sake of the argument. And then you picked up your franchise player, and you picked up probably your starting center moving forward, right after this year, if not two years from now. So you're going to have a lot of money coming up on the extensions of those guys. So how are you going to navigate that? And I think this trade deadline. If they did anything, it has to be an overwhelming thing. It has to over – I've heard Drew, I've heard, you know, JJ, I've heard Favors, I've heard all this. It's got to overwhelm you. And, and the reason is because the only thing that matters is the long-term health of this team. Health in the sense of injuries, health in the sense of just overall mindset to, to the natural growth of the team. So I think I, – I, I hate to disappoint fans that maybe, you know, want something to happen and they're pushing for the playoffs and whatnot. But the most important thing for this team, in my opinion, is the growth of the young core. How does Drew assimilate with these guys? JJ is going to be JJ. He's going to find his way. Lonzo, you know, these guys, Brandon Ingram. We haven't, you know, we haven't talked about Brandon Ingram. I mean, he's been amazing this year. So you kind of have to look at this moving forward. You're, you're most likely going to re-sign Ingram, right? I mean, you guys agree that Ingram's probably a guy you're going to go at, you know, you want to keep, right? Right. So 
you have to look at, now you have to start looking at the money and how do you make that decision? So if we're going to sign Ingram, we'll just call it just under the max. We'll just say that um, just for the argument's sake, you you're buying yourself three years until, until the extensions hit in on your first round guys, right around right. three years or so. Right. There's a three year window here. So if we have the Lakers picks, we have our own picks. Um, I just don't see the reason for them saying, Hey, we got to trade Drew. We got to trade fair. We got to do this. You don't have to do anything. That's they're actually in a great position to where, you know what, if they don't make the playoffs just as a, you know, just as a secondary, you know, um, kind of outcome is we still get a really good pick out of this. We're going to get a lottery pick. So now you're going to go into next year with three first round picks out of this draft a lottery pick out of next draft. Plus I believe you have the Lakers starting next year, if, if I'm not mistaken. So, and if, if it's just going on and on and on with the Lakers for the next, you know, four or five you know, years, whatever that is with swaps and whatnot. So you just have, I, I just don't feel like you have to sit here and say the Pelicans need to make a move. They have to get something for Drew. Drew does things that, um, that you don't see, you know, that you don't see in interviews, that you don't see in, in the games, whatnot. There's a lot of things. He's such a good guy and he's such a good leader and he's such a good person. Like you want that guy around your young guys. You want to be able to let him influence them positively. Right. So I, I just, you know, deadlines are always crazy and there's always things coming in, but I think if you stick, stick to your goals, you have to stick to your goals, especially with young teams, because if you never let them bloom and blossom, like it's, it's going to, you're always going to be sitting there saying, ah, what if, you know? Yeah. yeah so that, 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 that uh, leads to a interesting question. I think you mentioned Drew and what he brings off the court. And I really, I wanted to jump in on that and ask how that factors in when you're looking at evaluating players to bring in. So like th- this past summer with Griff, you know, bringing in a guy like, like JJ Redick, making the deal work to get favors and this, these veteran type guys, how much of it is with, with such a young team, how much is it of their veteran presence factors into going, wanting to go after those guys? I would imagine it's relatively uh, leadership and front office dependent on how much you value that versus the on-court stuff. Um, but wanted to see what, what your thoughts were. And, and to sort of add to that question, um, you know, you mentioned you, you got to let your young players blossom. And, and sometimes it may seem counterintuitive to have a guy like Drew um, who perhaps is getting minutes that you can maybe give to a guy like Nikhil or, or boost up Lonzo's minutes or some other young player. So um, is, is there sort of a, a counter thing going on uh, when you bring in guys like that? Yeah. I mean, it's a balance, you know, um, I'm going to take like, for example, Memphis, right? I think it depends on the guy you have. Like John Moran is, he's a winner and he wants to win and he's going to do everything he can to win. And he's going to, you know what I mean? So sometimes you can get these natural leaders that, you know, you kind of ride as a young guy. You still want to surround him with guys who, you know, have been in the league and can teach him things because he doesn't know everything, but it's the same type of thing with the Pelicans. In my opinion, I just think that I personally, I, I value good people being around good people. I think that no matter not just basketball, but I think in life in general, I think if, I think we all can agree if we're around good people who actually care and they want to see us improve and we want to see them improve and get better. And we have common goals. I think everybody would say though, that's the type of person I want to work with or, you know, work on a charity with, or, you know, whatever that is. Um, So 
I think just from a human standpoint, it's so important to have that. And when you can have, and I've been around Drew for a really long time and Drew, people talk about, you know, there's a lot of guys and like, oh, he's a great guy, this and that. Drew is literally that. He is, he is thoughtful. He is, he cares about people. He cares about his teammates. He doesn't have an ego about him. I mean, he is such a good guy to have around and on top of it, he can play, but he's also the same guy who, who will pull guys aside and say, Hey, you can't do this. Or, Hey, watch out for this. Hey, watch out for that. This is about to happen. Middle of the game. He does that in the middle of the game. He does it in the weight room. He does it in the training room. He does it on the bus. He does it on the plane. Like he does it in his own way. And, and he does it in such a way that it only helps people because he's coming from such a good place, if that makes any sense. And I'm not trying to like, you know, talk him up. This is real life Drew, you know? And um, it's one of those, he's one of those guys. Now I would want that type of person around my young guys who are also really good people too. I don't know if you guys have inter, you know, how much you guys have talked to, you know, Zion and Jackson and um, Nikhil and whatnot. I actually had a chance to, you know, uh, talk to Nikhil in depth and he, these are just great kids. Like they're actually really good guys. So I think Griff did a great job of getting good people in there, but on top of it, you're surrounding, you're surrounding people like Drew and don't forget, you know, Derek Favors is, is his teammates in Utah were, were, if you saw the outpouring just on Twitter, I can only imagine what it was in the phone calls and the text messages, guys saying, you know, can't believe you're gone. We love, you know, so you have those guys on a team and that only helps your young guys. I mean, I know some people may say, Oh, well, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker needs more minutes and Drew's taking them. I think in the long haul, it's going to be better for Nikhil to learn from arguably the best, you know, defender on ball defender in the league and somebody who's been there and done that rather than him just going out and trying to learn it himself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then that, I guess, leads very nicely into one of the theoretical questions we've kind of discussed back and forth, Mason and I, but love to get your thoughts on what you mentioned, how close these guys are and how good these guys are um, to each other. What is sort of the the human element of, of when, you know, you have all these players that you like and they're genuinely good people and, you know, you are either A, discussing them in a trade or, or B, um, you know, could, could the human element of you liking a player prevent you from, from making uh, like a move around the edges? Now, I'm going to name a name, for example, like Frank Jackson, great kid. Uh, if, let's say, some team came around and offered a second-round pick for him, could the factor of like, oh, well, Frank's beloved in this locker room uh, prevent you from acting on a, a move like that because you, you, you don't want to disrupt the chemistry that already exists? Well, I, I think it's, it's a really good question, too. So there's you can't let your emotions blind you, right? So if you look at someone like Drew, he's, he's the total package, right? He gives you everything he's got on the court. He's a high-level player, all-star caliber player. Any team in the league would say, yes, we want Drew Holiday on our team. You know what I mean? There's a value in his game, and then there's a value of him off the court as well. Those things have to come into conjunction together. It's not always, hey, I like this guy. I want to keep him around. You know, like I, I, I've liked tons of guys we've had on 10-day contracts that we didn't keep. You know, I was there. Loved them as people. But at the end of the day, they just, you know, they didn't, weren't good enough to play at this level. I mean, that's, you know, 10-day guys, you know, end-of-season guys. But 
you you have to balance your emotions with the production and your goals. And I keep coming back to goals. I'm sure you guys are probably going to get tired of me saying this, but the goals are so important because if your if your goal is always to be a playoff team and it doesn't matter if you're one through eight, just as long as you're a playoff team, you're going to make moves that reflect that. You're going to have the mindset every day when you're evaluating college players, other pro players, European players, whatever that is, your own team with that mindset, with that goal in mind. So it's it's more so personally, if I was, you know, if it was me running a team, what I, I of course I want all good guys that can that can play with no, you know, warts, if you will. But you're always gonna find everybody has warts. You know, we all have our weaknesses and whatnot. But there's a balance. There's a balance of the impact of the game to what he, they do off the floor as well. I think it's, you know, it's probably on average in the league, it's probably 60, 40, maybe, maybe 65, um, 35, where it's 65 or 60 is the on court. And then the rest of it is the off the court stuff. Okay. Yeah. That, that definitely makes sense. Does, um, when 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 you're looking at at people to acquire do you ever feel like you know we have a bunch of good guys in the locker and you're like that one asshole away from being really good like do you need someone that's going to like kick some some of these guys into into shape at times oh yeah you need you need guys you need guys that have an edge i i call like that's what i always called them i'm like it's great to have a locker room full of nice guys who like each other and pat each other on the back and say great job you know and are gung-ho about what you're doing it's great but there's also when you get to the playoffs there's a there's a grit to it there's a there's a um there's just a toughness that you have to have because every possession counts in the playoffs and I think that's where my definition of an edge comes from is guys who when you're in a five-game losing streak because those things happen it's the NBA and those things happen. Are those guys going to be able to get on other players and say, we're messing up. This is not good. You know, I'm saying that politely and courteously, but um, some guys have different approaches. But at the same time, when you're in the playoffs, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys saw um, Tyron Matthew, uh, if you guys were watching the Super Bowl, he was going off on the Chiefs defense. I don't know if you saw that. The, the defensive line the linebackers, the other corners, like he was just, he was just going off on, them. Mm-hmm. you know, from our viewpoint, it was, whoa, he's out of control. But if you talk to the guys after the game, it was all, well, no, we, we have a standard. We have goals that we set for each other and we have a standard and he's upholding those standards. He has an edge about him. You know what? Does that, does that make sense? I'm trying to give it a little, you yeah, know, for sure. A little yeah. context. Like he held his guys responsible and did he have to go after him a little bit? Yeah. But you know what? They were in the Super Bowl. And without that, who knows if they win the game or not? Maybe that little bit of you guys need to check yourself. This is the biggest game of your life, and this is how you're playing and, and reacting to things going on. Maybe that's what you need, and maybe that's what won the Super Bowl. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a football guy. But I can't tell you that it did or didn't, but I don't think it hurt. I don't think it hurt them along the way. So if you have leaders like that with edges, I think those, are the, those guys are golden if you can have them. A lot of people argue Jimmy Butler is that guy. You know, some guys, some guys hear stories on Jimmy and they say, oh, he's a, you know, he's this and he's in that, but the guy wins, you know, wherever he goes, they win. That's not, that's not a coincidence. And he holds guys accountable. You know, I mean, I'm going to go back to Kobe, you know, rest in peace, but 
you know, Kobe's probably my favorite player um, ever. And it wasn't because he shot a bunch of shots and he fadeaways and, you know, all that. And it was the fact that he's not afraid to call his guys, you know, soft as tissue paper. He's not afraid to say pow, you know, pow, yeah, you know, you're, you're averaging 22 and 11. It's not good enough. You know what I mean? So those guys are the guys you want. What you don't want are guys that are in it for themselves and they're trying to boss other people around. That's never a good situation. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. I think that that's kind of how, how we've approached it and thinking, uh, and, and thinking things like that. But nice, nice, nice to hear it from a, a different perspective. We're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Bet Online. Miss your chance at Bet on Chiefs Niners? If you're not a listener, Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter what time of the year it is. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your future bet for Super Bowl 2021. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy. And if you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Switching gears a little bit, um, I'll, I'll try to frame this up as an ex, uh, with an example, but let's say you're a team uh, that's looking at a guy like Derek Favors um, to, uh, to potentially acquire. How much are you talking to, say, Favors' agent uh, to see what he what that next contract that he's looking for may look like, and, and what and how it compares to your evaluation of him? And that's just one example, obviously, but just that 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 interaction with the agent to figure out. You know, is this guy someone that we may will be able to afford? If, if, if do our interests align enough to think that we can have a chance to re-sign this player? What does that look like? Is that tampering? <laughs> is that tampering? <laughs> you tell you tell us. <laughs> oh man, that's a, that is a gray area. Um, <laughs> it's uh, you know, by the rules, I believe you know you you can't really discuss those things um, when it comes to that. I think. I think what you can do is get a feel for where the player is at and where the agent is at in terms of how they feel about their current situation. Um, I don't, you know, with the, with the new reporting rules and all that, you know, you don't want to, if any team doesn't want to get involved in that, it's better to, it's better to play it safe. Um, Now, if this was, you know, 2010, I'd probably say, you know, (laughs) anything can happen, but um, you know, I, I think, you get a feel, though, in all seriousness, I think you get a feel for that. I don't even really know that um, the agent has that much say in it in terms of, like, being able to influence the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when as a team, you always want to know your options, know them all, and know the outcomes of those options. The problem is you don't always know the outcome, right? You can know that, you know, I'll just give you an example. Like, you have your full med level. You have a biannual this year. You know, those things are always, um, those are set in stone things that you know are going to happen as long as you don't ABC. But the outcomes you can never really, you can hope for the best, but (laughs) expect the worst almost. And um, in someone like Derek's case, 
from a player's perspective, I have to do what's best for me at the end of the day. You know, I have to, I have to figure out what's best for me, but also if I'm his agent, I'm saying, what's my market. Um, it's almost like, you know, it's like if you're, you know, all these, all these different, you know, if it's a bar and there's a bunch of bars out there and then, Hey, I want to open a bar. Well, what's the market research on it? What's, what's actually my market for if I'm the best cocktail server ever, but I'm going to open my own bar. And um, you need to do market research when it comes to your own self and what your numbers say and how you play and what people, um, you know, what other teams want in their players. And I think that's where good agents really come in. You'll see a lot of agents, they don't know that dynamic because they don't spend the time to talk to GMs, talk to the people in front offices across all 30 teams to see where what they value and what, what they think their goals are for that team. I think every Pelicans fan is thinking about Boogie right now, just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I, I listen, I, I will say this and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big Boogie fan when it comes to um, the way he, the way he played with us. Yeah. The first, the, 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 the you know, just reflecting on it, he was amazing that second year. I don't think anybody here is going to say he wasn't because he, he played amazing for us. And, you know, he was pretty good off the floor for the most part for us too. So, um, but going back to that, it's, you know, it's, it's tough, man. (laughs) Free agency is tough. You know, I've, I've always felt that free agency is the toughest time for both, for both sides, you know, trade deadline, you're kind of sitting here and the teams have all the power, right? All the teams have all the power and where they decide to send player A and player B, that's where they're sending them. And in free agency, you have the flip side of that where the agent has to be prepared as well. Now, if you have LeBron James on the open market, this is not, this is a no brainer, right? It's which team do you want to go to? But where you start getting into really good agents is guys like Derek Favors who you know, what's the market for these guys anymore? The way he plays, how he plays, what does he bring to your team? Um, what can he add in terms of off the courts, you know, off the court, you know, addition? Um, I just think that market that you have to determine, it comes as the season keeps going on. And yeah, you can have conversations about how's your fit? How do you feel? is your client happy? Is he not, you know, what's going on? That's all, you know, that's fine and dandy, but you know, when it comes down to actual numbers and Hey, this is what we're going to give you and what we're not going to give you. Um, I don't, you know, that's not, I don't think that's a conversation you need to have until, you know, a you're allowed and B it's the time is right. So, I mean, I don't hope not too political, but that's really how I feel about it. No, no, fair, fair enough. Uh, I, what I wanted to pick your brain on a little bit is, you know, you you, ha- you see teams all the time that kind of suffer from uh, overvaluing their own assets. I don't know, maybe in the form of like an endowment effect. And, and that may present itself from either A, holding on to a player too long. And I think uh, we kind of saw that with Utah in, in, in Dante Exum. Um, or, or B, overpaying uh, your own player just, just to keep them. How are some of the ways to to avoid falling in, into that pitfall, and, and how like reflective or cognizant are our front offices um, of of this situation? 
Well, the, the reality of that is it's, it's a lot of time. It's you're a, you're a product of your circumstance. And in the sense that, you know, you're talking about one of the examples was you say that the player that you have to re-sign your player for perceivable, perceivably anyways, more money than he would get on the open market. Right. Is that kind of where you're right. What you're saying for that. So a part of, you know, keeping consistency in your team and keeping talent on your team, a lot of times that is the best option of all your options, if that makes any sense. Because as an example, and this is just make-believe, you know, say you have, you know, the rights on a player, you have his bird rights, and, you know, you can pay him more than everybody else, and but he's not a max player, right? So you're sitting here saying, okay, well, I only have – I'm making this number up – I only have $9 million to spend in free agency, right? Because if you let player, the player that's been with you that you have the rights on, if you let him go, you have to replace him, right? You have to, you have to find somebody to play in his spot. So is, again, going back to your goals, are you long-term, short-term? Are you kind of in the middle trying to find something that fits? Whatever that goal set is, is, the, is that $9 million able to get me a player of the same caliber of the same um, impact into the game as say this player who's, you know, if he goes on the free agency market, he's going to make 14 million, but I have to pay him. I'm just making some 17 because I can resign him. Like he's the best player I can resign. I can sign. And that's really the only mechanism I have to sign a player of his caliber. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you kind of view it as like, when when you get to that point, do you kind of view it as well? You know, if I didn't have this player on my team, would I spend that money on this player? Is is that kind of the thought process? Mm, It's not for me most of the time. Sometimes it creeps in and you got to think, okay, is this guy, you know, is player a, this guy that we really feel is, you know, worth that or not worth that. But really, at the end of the day, the fact is you have to replace him. If you get rid of, if you get rid of player X and he averaged 14 and 14.6 rebounds for you, and you can only – the best thing you're going to get is say you have your mid-level and he makes – that guy's going to get signed for 14, 15 million that you have, and he, this mid-level's at eight, and the best thing you can get is a guy who makes – you know, who, who shoots 35% from three and is, you know, averages nine points and three rebounds – and you're going to play him third starters minutes or, you know, whatever the minutes of the other guy, that's what you have to make sure that you stay disciplined and focused on. You have to focus on these, on those things. Because if I, if I'm sitting there playing, Oh, well, what if make believe that doesn't help me solve my issue, you know, solve my situation that I have that I either have to overpay for this guy to keep him and keep the status quo or, you know, or improve our team, or maybe he's a young guy, or maybe he's a guy that fits really well into our system and we're okay overpaying him a little bit because he's such a good fit. I mean, all those things come in, all those things come into it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, There's no absolute answer to this. <laughs> Make sure you got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, There's no I mean, that's, that's the beauty of the NBA is that there's so many different ways to do this thing yeah. that, and there's so many situations that arise that you just sometimes guys you get lucky. I mean, Golden State hit the jackpot a few times. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
and they and they rolled the dice. They hit the jackpot a couple times and went and got KD. <laughs> you know what I mean? So situations arise where you're like, oh man, Steph is great. Oh my gosh, we got Clay. We have two of the best shooters of all time on our team. Oh, and by the way, we also have probably the most, the toughest, grittiest leader. You know what I mean? In basketball on our team too. Oh, by the way, you, you know what I mean? So, um, so it's, 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 there's no, there's no right or wrong way. It's, it's a matter of sticking to your system, sticking to what matters to you. You know, in Atlanta, um, you know, I got to work with Danny Ferry for, for, for a few years and, you know, just picking his brain and whatnot. And, and of course what, you know, Atlanta did after he left as well. Um, you know, they're always about being consistent. You know what I mean? San Antonio, same thing, consistency consistency in your approach consistency in what you're doing consistency in your decision making so that's just an example of of two programs that have their own goals but you know other teams like we'll say the Lakers their goals are totally different it's not be consistent stay it's win championships every year this is it we're the Yankees of the NBA right right so that 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 all of that comes into you know all of that comes into play here. So, I mean, I, it's, 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 it's just so many different things that can go so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one thing curious about that's a little, that has some recent relevance. A lot of people, you know, over the last couple of months have been talking about how this is maybe one of the weakest, weakest NBA drafts in the last few years. And my, my questions are really around how, draft picks are valued from from year to year what's that what does that look like on top of everything else that you guys have to do to evaluate the current players in the nba um you know what's the relationship with that with this with scouts how does um you know what's projected for certain draft classes impact you um whether it's the upcoming draft maybe the draft after that um how far are you are you guys looking and how is it playing into decisions that are being made around this time yeah, that's interesting you, you, you asked that because, you know, with the one and done rule, most likely, I mean, I think everybody is on the same page that it is going to be gone. It kind of throws a, a little bit of a hitch into what the standard procedure was, if that makes any sense. Um, you kind of have to go back to the Kobe days, Kevin Garnett days, guys that came out. I mean, there were scouts going to high school gyms, you know? And, um, it's, it's changing approaches. I've, I've, I've talked to, you know, more than a few front offices that, you know, you have your, I mean, if you, I know guys have been scouts for 20 years, whatnot, and they're, they're kind of not set in their ways, but they understand the ebb and flow of the draft, right? You're going to have good ones. You're going to have bad ones. I mean, people said the one with Giannis was awful. If you guys remember that, mm-hmm. oh, they've got two players in this whole thing. The rest is, uh, you know, it turned out to be wrong, <laughs> you know, but these guys, you know, with the one and done rule coming up, it's changing the approach of scouts. It's changing the approach of front offices across the league. And it's not, it's not like this, you know, this bomb has dropped on everybody. And they're like, Oh my God, what do we do? We, you know, that's not it. It's when you have an ebb and flow. I mean, think about it. you guys do your thing. You guys have an ebb and flow of, of your workflow. And you're talking about guys who've been on the road for 20 some years, 30 some years in some case, some cases, um, there's an ebb and flow to what they do. So when that ebb and flow kind of gets curved a little bit, 
I think that's when, especially with these younger guys coming in, you're going to see that people are going to say, this draft is really, really good, or this draft is really, really bad. You're going to see a lot more of that because the body of work is not going to be there for those draft guys, right? For example, um, a guy who's coming out, not it won't be in this draft. It'll be in the next draft, Kate Cunningham. I don't know if you guys know about him at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kate is, uh, you know, I saw him at Nike over the summer, 6'6", um, six, six, you know, guard skills. I mean, he's, he's the real deal. He's, I think he's number three on ESPN top 100. Real deal player. There's no doubt he's an NBA player. I mean, I watched him and went, this guy could probably come off the bench, be a 10th guy right now in the league at, you know, 16 years old, whatever he is. But in the, the long run, there's not going to always be the Cades, the Kevin Garnett's, the Kobe's, those guys that, you know, you're like, okay, uh, that guy 100% coming out of high school. You know, I think Cade's going to Oklahoma State, by the way. I think that's where he committed to. So, um, you know, he's not in for this draft, but it's the next one. But you're looking at just talking about projecting drafts moving forward. It's going to be a lot more difficult because the body of work isn't there for all these guys. You can play in all the AU tournaments you want. You can play in all the high school games you want, but you're not playing against high level, higher level guys. You know what I mean? And there's a difference when you have to go on the road to Duke and you have to go on the road to Kansas or, you know, whatever that is, Oregon, whatever that is. There's a lot, there's a difference in the way you're evaluated. So to me, the draft moving forward, once the one and done rule is in any ways, is going, it's going to not diminish, but it's going to have a little less effect on the value of the actual picks, in my opinion. And you've got to remember also with this new CBA, the number one pick gets paid $8 million in his first year, right? So you're looking at this as, wow, I'm putting a lot of money into this number one pick. It's mid-level money, or, you know, it's, for the fifth guy, it's, you know, whatever it is, six and a half. I don't know off the top of my head is, you know, but it's, I think it's six and a half. It's scaled. So you're going to have 18-year-old guys straight out of high school. You're going to have five, six, seven of those going in the first round. To me, it's a lot more of a crapshoot. Unless it's LeBron, it's pretty much a crapshoot. So the value that you're speaking of when you're looking out and projecting moving, moving forward, to me, it's going to diminish a little bit just for the sheer scale of the money you're going to give someone and the body of work that they have. Now, this upcoming draft will say it's probably not as strong as last year's draft. I mean, I don't know what your I haven't heard your guys' you know thoughts on it, but the overall consensus is that it's it's a weaker draft than this past one. This past one was touted as you had three guys in the top three who were you know core to all star type guys, and really two franchise guys they said I, th- I think that's what I had at I had Zion and, and Ja as franchise guys and um you know with this upcoming draft you've already started on this draft three years ago when these guys were in high school so now that they have another year of basketball underneath them the value of them is higher than it will be in three or four years if that makes any sense right so when I'm looking at a first-round pick this year, it's going to be of more value than, say, three years from now. Just in terms of body of work, you know, scale of, of the wages that are included in first-round pick guarantees now, and how I would value them moving forward. So if I was making a trade at the trade deadline and I'm saying, okay, well, I want some picks, I think I need, I need to, you know, 
create more assets for myself. Um, I personally would be trying to get more picks before the one and done rule is, is over rather than after the one and done rule is over. If that's, I don't know if that answers your no, question. That, that's, that's fascinating because it's a long winded answer because that one and done is such a huge thing coming up. It's so big. Yeah. It's no, it's fascinating because we, you know, we, I think we have a Lakers um, either, either one of the Lakers picks or, or the right to swap during, during that double draft, so to speak. And, and I think the initial reaction to that was like, yeah, that, that's awesome. You get two dips in the double draft. Um, but I think this is a perspective that we didn't really approach it from. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's, it's, it's, it's my personal one just trying, you know, looking at it from the outside now, especially it's a, you know, the, the draft has always been a risk reward type of, um, you know, futures market, if you will. I mean, that's pretty much what fut- this the NBA, you know, draft is. It's a futures market. Like you're always looking at what's moving ahead, what's going to move ahead, who's going to develop, what's, what are they going to develop into? Well, you know, that's why everybody comes out with comps and, you know, they say Zion is Charles Barkley and, you know, just all this stuff because it helps keep guys in perspective. Right. So those, 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 you know, analysis of all these guys, if you take, you know, player A, who's now 14 years old, but in three years and three and a half years, whatever it is, he's an M, you know, he's going to declare for the draft and people are like, man, this guy's a first round pick. Well, what body of work do you have? How many AAU tournaments did you go to that were Nike top of the line, you know, or Under Armour top of the line or Adidas top of the line if, you know, if Adidas is doing it still? Like, you're going to have to go to those. And then in high school, he's playing with how many other NBA players that are on the floor. And I think that's something that even in college you look at, um, like currently uh, Baylor's the number one team in the country, right? Could you guys tell me how many, how many NBA players do you think are on Baylor? I mean, statistically, probably one. But no, I've, yeah, no clue. <laughs> that, that's 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 my point. So you're looking at we'll say we'll say that Baylor has one guy, probably Jared Butler, right? That's probably who you're talking about, right? So you have one guy who, and again, this is not knocking the other Baylor guys. This is not you know, it's not a testament to them. It's it's just saying this is a, a, a random question of people that follow the NBA, not the NCAA so much, but they're more focused on the NBA. If I'm if I'm in the Pelicans front office and I'm saying, okay, well. You know, I really, you know, I really like Jared Butler, but he is playing with four guys who probably aren't going to be in the NBA. How's he going to, how's he going to match up? What, what if, you know, if I say he's, I'm making this up, we're going to say he's going to be a spot starter career sixth, seventh guy off the bench, right? That's his best case scenario. Well, at that point, he's playing with a bunch of guys who probably aren't NBA players and he's only playing against maybe five other NBA players in the league, in the Big 12, right? So maybe 10. We'll call it – Big 12 is really good. So we'll call it a 10 to 12 person. So when he goes against Dotson or those other guys, like you go, okay, well, he, he can play ABC. But then you start thinking, okay, what if he has to spot start and we're playing Houston and he has to guard Russell Westbrook? You know what I mean? Those are the things you have to start thinking about as you move on with the evaluation. But then with the one and dones, at least with we're just using Jared as Jared Butler as an example because you know number one team in the country whatever but without that you would have been trying to would you even know that Jared Butler is an NBA player does that make sense would you even know that he was 
a guy that you think can be, you know, have a Ramon Sessions type career, if that makes any sense to you guys. Like that's, that's where I'm saying it. The, 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 it's going to get really hard to make that decision. Wow. That's, that's interesting. I wonder if we're going to see teams more willing to trade picks further out um, just, just for that reason. And, and because there are going to be, I guess the pool of prospect grows, maybe second round picks become a little bit more valuable just from a cost perspective, because, you know, you, like you said, the, the guaranteed first round contract contracts are only increasing in scale, but you know, you, you may have, a longer time to evaluate some of the, some of the guys that might drop down the scale because they have less hype or whatnot. Right. And, and that's, and, and that's one of the things that ultimately it's, it's a weird balance because if you go to college and you're a prospect, right. You may be seen as someone who isn't as good to play in the NBA right now, even though you might be, you might be perfectly more than capable of playing the NBA, but maybe you, got injured or maybe you feel that this is the best move for you or maybe your family wants you to go to college you know there's a lot of like there's a lot that comes with that you have to do the background on you know as a scout just you know I'm sure I know you guys know that like you have to do the background on these guys but still the initial perception could be that oh well this guy is not an NBA player and that's a bias that scouts have to get over if they do have it if that makes any sense in my opinion and that that's why with all these picks that are coming up for like we'll say the Pelicans and like OKC and those guys, I know for a fact in OKC they do a great job of scouting. I mean, it's proofs in the pudding, right? You can just go down the line and say, boom, Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka. You know what I mean? You can just keep going down the line. You know, Steven Adams, just I mean, you just keep going. And um so when you look at that, you go, okay, well, their evaluation process is really good, and they have all these picks coming up. I actually like the late first-round picks. Uh, I do. I, I especially love early second-round picks, personally, because <laughs> of the money that's involved and the way you're able to you know, work with the contracts a little more. But there's going to be, in my opinion, a lot of value. And I think that's, I, I think that's why maybe some of, the, some of these teams have done these big deals where they get these end-of-the-road picks. I mean, also, I just shouldn't say end-of-the-road, but end-of-the-first-round picks. Because there is a little bit of light at the tunnel where you gave up your franchise player or one of your best players, whatever, that is a guy who's you know a, a core player on your team, but you're getting all these picks back, whereas in the past you might be looking at it as, okay, well, I got to find Josh Hart. I got to find, you know um, – I'm just, you know, guys that Kavon Looney, even I think Kavon Looney did a great job, you know, like guarding Anthony and whatnot when we played them a couple years back. Um, like those types of guys you can find there, but now you're going to throw in also all these high school guys, you know, so you can get these guys locked up at lower numbers for longer periods. If that makes any sense, you're going to have control of them over four years and you're only paying them you know, we'll call it two and a half million dollars for a late, you know, late twenties pick. Whereas if he's the number 10 pick or the number five pick or number two pick, you're, you're at, you know, between five and 8 million for the five and 9 million for these guys a year. So it's, it's, it's a, it's something that it's really interesting. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how teams handle that in terms of the risk reward play. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. Um, we're definitely going to have to have you on near the draft to just go all in on on potential draft stuff, especially if the Pelicans end up with with another lottery pick. But uh, I want to wrap up this podcast with with a final question, and um, is, this is going to be 
uh, interesting for, for the fans to hear and, and something I want to definitely get your viewpoint on. And I've been curious about what, what goes into uh, evaluating the right coach for your team. And, and I understand, you know, the coaches are, are a part of a staff uh, overall and, and they make up um, uh, a collective, but you know, people, people want to blame head coaches for everything, right? You know, you lose a game, it's, it's rotations, it's, it's timeouts, it's, you know, your system, your style, whatever. Um, obviously those things go into play when you, when you evaluate a coach and try and you try to decide who you want to, you know, shape your culture or, or the era going forward. But, you know, how, how do you guys come to a conclusion? Like if you were to lead a, a coaching search and you're like, okay, I want this person to be um, someone I want that's going to define the next era for the Pelicans or, or whoever, or team ABC. Um, what, what's the thought process that goes into that? Yeah, man, you know, in, in defense of coaches around the league, they, they're on the front lines, you know, they're kind of like the generals, you know, that are, you know, civil war generals that were on their horses and they're right in the middle of the fighting. You know, I, if you guys ever heard like Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate army, he was this great general, but he got killed in action because he's on his horse on the front lines, you know, and they, you know, they, he took, he took, you know, I think it was like one or two bullets, whatever it was, but he was always getting beat up. He was in the middle of battle, sword fighting, you know, you know, bayonets and, you know, with his cavalry sword and all this. And it's, it's kind of like how, you know, head coaches around the league are, they're your first line. They're always talking to the media. They're always, they're the first people that have to answer about what happened every single game, (laughs) at least 82 times a year. I mean, so you have to, you have to find a guy that, I mean, and again, I go back to, and I know you guys are probably, everybody's listening, like, oh, he's going to talk about goals again, but that's what it is. What is your goal as, as the head of operation, head of the basketball department? It's your, it's your show. What is your goal on this? And it's so important. I, I, think, I think head coaches have to have a personability about them. They have to be able to interact with their players and not in a way that is out of their character, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, back, I'm actually, I'm from Ohio and a guy I used to work with um, at the National Basketball Academy when we used to do AAU and all that, just way in my early days. You know, he always, he gave me great advice. He said, as a coach, you have to be yourself. If you're a nice guy, be nice. If you're a mean guy, be mean. If you're a yeller, be a yeller. If you're a quiet guy, be a quiet guy because players see right through you. And I think that that is so important when it comes to, I know it's, I know we're talking about the NBA and we're talking about, you know, when I was 23 years old, straight out of college, you know, hearing this from, you know, one of my coworkers, but he, you know, it kind of stuck with me and you kind of see it through working so much with NBA guys. It's, it's really, it really is true because players are not dumb. And I, 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 I really irks me a lot of times when I you get on Twitter and I know it's Twitter, but you know, you get on Twitter and Instagram and, you watch all these shows and all these guys talking back and forth and they talk about this guy's this, this guy's that, this head coach is it. And it, you know, it really, it's really not, it's really not who those guys are, you know? And I, I, I get a little upset when they try to pace the coach as a certain way, or he is this, or he is that. Well, I don't, I don't know that that's always true. And maybe it's just for ratings or clicks or whatnot, but Coaches need to be able to relate to their guys and be themselves. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of being around Monty Williams um, 
while, you know, when I first got hired, I, I think it, he had been one year in, I think it was. Um, and Monty is just an amazing human being. He was, but the guys respected him. And they didn't respect him out of fear. They didn't respect him because just because he was the head coach, they respected him because he was honest with them. And he held them accountable. And he held them to a standard that he felt was the best way for the team to go. And I think that's so important for, for head coaches, just for me, they got to be able to be themselves and hold people accountable at the same time. And that's a tough thing to do. And you think about any boss in any type of job, that's, that's what makes good managers and that's what makes good leaders and, and bosses. And um, coaches also, I mean, listen, all these guys in the league know their X's and O's. I do not care, you know, what anybody <laughs> says about anybody in this league these guys know X's and O's. And I know sometimes got, these guys are human. I'm not trying to defend all coaches, but when I, this is real stuff. And you know what? Sometimes they're going to make mistakes. There's gonna, they're human. They're going to make mistakes. How many shots does players in a game make or miss? I'm sorry. You know, how many times do they make dumb fouls? You know what I mean? Like I, these things happen. And just as long as it's not a repeating action and you have a track record of not repeating that action – I think that's super important as well. Um, and, like, and finally, he's got to be someone that understands the complexity of the whole organization. Um, I think, you know, I, I got to work with Alvin as well, and Alvin does a great job of understanding what everyone is doing and what's going on. He's never someone that says, sits there and goes, this is how I do it. You guys figure out a way to make it work. You know what I mean? He is super, he works with people and he cares and he's a great guy and he does all these things. So when you're looking for a head coach, at least for me, I'm looking for somebody that I can work with if I'm the guy making the decisions if that, you know, and I think those three things are just the basis of it. There's so much more that goes into it. You know, there's, I mean, I, I remember when we were doing coaching searches and whatnot. There's just so much that goes into it, but for me, in my opinion, I think those are so important. Personability, personability, accountability, um, being able to understand the whole, the whole picture, not just what you're doing, how you're doing it, when you're doing it. And, you know, being able to guys that your players respect you and they listen to you. I think that's the most important thing. And listen, you have to understand, I'm already accepting that they know the X's and O's because <laughs> all these guys know X's and O's, okay? I yeah, mean, no, ab- absolutely. You, 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 you mentioned mean, accountability. Um, it's in, in, you know, for fans, accountability is like, I don't know, benching a player or whatever. But obviously there's more that goes into that. Can you, can you touch on that briefly? Like what, what is accountability um, and, and what does that look like beyond just like, oh, well, you're minister reduced? Well, I think accountability isn't just – in the game. Accountability starts off the floor. It starts when you wake up in the morning. It, it starts off how you talk to the people you love, how you treat the people you love. Like that, that's where accountability starts. And then as you start there, you can move on with your, you know, accountability into your professional life and whatever that is. And so it's from a professional perspective, it's, are you in early? Are you a guy? And I want to make sure just because you're in early doesn't mean you're getting stuff done. Just because you stay late doesn't mean you're getting stuff done. Like the time you use has to be efficient. And with the pounding that these guys take, like the, the accountability factors are, are you getting your treatments? Are you, uh, are you, you know, 
getting your extra work in or things that maybe you're struggling, maybe you're in a funk. Are you trying to get more shots up at practice to trying to get out of that funk or are you watching more film? Um, you know, the accountability is to yourself first and foremost, am I ready to play? Am I doing everything I can mentally to be ready to play? Am I doing everything physically? I am ready to play. That's accountability just for yourself. You know what I mean? And a lot of guys struggle with that part right there. You look at like Marquise Chris, and I'm not trying to call Marquise Chris out. I'm just saying like, this is a, a pattern of behavior, you know, that he had. And it's, it's just accountability to yourself. And then accountability then starts coming once you get to work and you start, you know, Hey, yes, I'm with the strength coaches. I'm with the, the physical therapists. We're making sure I'm good there. I'm with my coaches. I'm watching my film. I'm doing whatever I need to, you know, uh, I mean, people talk like, I think the guy that I heard stories about, I never, I never knew, or I've, I've never actually spoke to, but in my head, he's the superhero of Bruce Bowen. I don't know if you guys know stories about Bruce Bowen, but he's, he's a guy who would um, actually, you know, I met him, I met him over the summer. That's right. And I asked him this question and I said, Hey, I heard stories about you, man. And you like the mornings of whenever you guys had a game, you would run these Hills in San Antonio and then you'd watch film. You'd get to the facility at seven 30, 8 AM after you got done running. And you would sit in your car, you know, because back in the day, that's when the, the cool thing was to have the TVs and the steering wheel. I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, I heard you used to just stay in there and watch film of the guy you're guarding that night just so you knew. And you watched his last three games, all of his offensive clips, so you knew exactly what he did. He went, yeah, I did that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's accountability. You know what I mean? Like, that's accountability. And um, I think that's – a lot of this stuff that gets put on coaches and other people, like it's think about it, just take the basketball element and that they're great athletes and, and whatnot. You know, if they worked at a construction company and you don't have the accountability to show up on time and then you're late and then you don't do great work on top of it and you're not efficient. I don't think that construction company is going to be like, okay, this is a guy we want to move forward with. Or if you're a financier or, or if you're a, you know, on wall street, it's just, it's just normal, you know, life situations. We look at it as basketball that, Hey, these guys are so much more athletic than you, you or me. And they know so much more basketball than you or me or whatnot. And really what we have to look at is the self accountability of each player first. Also, that being said, your coach has to be accountable to himself as well. And I think that's where like guys like pop guys like Rick Carlisle, like Rick Carlisle is a great coach. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. And he is all, you know, exactly where Rick stands all the time. And I think guys respect that. They may not like it all the time, but they respect it. And I think that's, those are the lines you kind of have to, you know, you have to see is the self-accountability as a player, the self-accountability as a coach. And when they come together and you have guys that are all accountable to themselves towards the team, that's when you really start to feel growth. And that's when you can really say, Hey, you know, this coach is, this is a guy we, we can see doing that with player X and player Y. And that's when, you know, you're doing your background, the coaches and whatnot. But, um, you know, they just, I just feel like a lot of times coaches just get the heat, man, just because they're the coach. And that's, and that's part of the responsibility of it. You know, that's part, that's just kind of, you're kind of an easy target, but at the same time, you're so, so important. Like if not the most important cog <laughs> in an organization just for the sheer fact of what you bring to the team day in and day out, making sure everybody's accountable, make sure everybody's on the same page. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. A lot of guys don't know about it. 
Sorry if I'm ranting on about this. Oh, no, no, we love it because, you know, we don't get this. A lot of these coaches get, you know, they get all this grief and I get, it comes with the position. I get that, but it's just, you know, just seeing it from the other side, you go, you know, these guys are really busting their butt and they're really working hard and they're really good people and they really connect with their players well. And you're not always going to agree with everything everyone else says all the time, but you have to understand that there's an authority line there. So. No, I love it. We, we don't get this window often. So we, we have the same thought process, Mason and I, in, in that coaches get too much grief most of the time. And, and 90% of the work happens, you know, outside of the two hour basketball game that's, that's happening. Uh, but it's, it's really refreshing to hear from someone that's, that's been there and, and know how these things play out. Um, I, I think that's, that's really valuable insight. Now you guys want me to talk about the media too? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's for our next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and that I'm podcast kidding. will be five minutes long, I think. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Right. Well, Dan, uh, we appreciate your time and, and thank you for doing this. We're, we'll love to have you on again. I think there's so many more questions that we, we wanted to ask, but, you know, we just couldn't get to in, in this short time. Um, but this, this was great. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. No, thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Hello everyone, my name is Colin Kelly and I have one question for you. Do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021? Then be sure to check out Rotoviz Overtime and all the other Rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on Blue Wire. We've got you covered for all things fantasy football. Subscribe to Rotoviz Overtime today.